Hey guys, what is going on? We are in the zone here as always with Giancarlo Alino. And uh, we're going to start it off today, Alino, with some leaf rumors because trade deadline, as we know, always, it's not really around the corner. Yeah, we still have some time, but now is when the talks start to come, the rumors start to ramp up a little bit. And we've seen a lot of names that we never thought would potentially be traded, but hey, the time has come, their contracts are running out, and um, the Leafs have been linked to almost all of these guys, obviously because they are the Leafs. They're one of the most uh, historic franchises in the game, and they're in a good spot where they're uh, trying to get a Stanley Cup, whereas the other great franchises like you know Montreal and uh, Detroit and Chicago are reeling right now. So with that being said, Alino, I'm just going to list off a couple names that are uh, one of the top baits at the trade deadline. And just let me know where you think they're going to go. So the first guy I'm going to start off with is the guy that's basically headlining it. He's the captain of Vancouver, Bo Horvat. He's a guy, Alino, that could really do it all. We've seen his goal total go up this year. I think he's just, I don't know if he's playing to leave Vancouver, but I think his confidence right now is at an all-time high. Where do you think Bo Horvat best fits, Alino? I think a Canadian team. I know it's probably biased because I just like what Bor Horvat's done in uh, Vancouver. And I think a Canadian market would benefit from having that guy that would probably appreciate him. Uh, like a Calgary, I think if they can make the salary work, they might have to look at maybe some of the signings they made, see who has worked out for them, who hasn't, and maybe make a move there that would best suit their style of play. I think Bo Horvat would be a nice fit. Uh, if they can get creative, uh, the Jets would be another one with him. And obviously the Leafs, because you could finally get another goal-scoring option, third line. They haven't had since Kadri, so I'll go with the Canadian team for Bo Horvat. I like it. I think I'm going to have to, you know, mix it up. I think Boston would be a good fit for him, and I hate to say that, but, you know, you look at David Krejci has been, he's been fantastic since coming back, but he's not the same guy anymore, and if you can get a guy like Bo Horvat, you could have a guy like Charlie Coyle being as dominant as he is. You can move him to the wing. Their fourth line, I think I wouldn't touch. Like they got Nosek, Felino, and Greer, who are just three guys that'll just bully you. So we all know you need that in the playoffs. And if you get a Bo Horvat, you know, on the third line with like a Taylor Hall and a Craig Smith, that's just an absolute nightmare. So. If I'm Boston, their offense is already top three in the league. They have Pasternak, Marchand, Bergeron, McAvoy. DeBrusque is injured now, so I think they're trying to get another offensive weapon, and I think Bo Horvat bringing in that leadership into that already experienced locker room I think would just be a perfect fit for a guy like Bo. But, yeah, you know, I don't want to see that. I think, I mean, Edmonton I think would be another good shout for Bo Horvat. I think – you know, they, you look at their bottom six forwards, Alino, and it's not that good for Edmonton. And I think that's what's been their biggest problem over the last couple of years. Obviously, the goaltending with Mike Smith last year just didn't get the job done. But, you know, you now have a guy like Stuart Skinner and Jack Campbell, who Jack Campbell, say what you want about him. When he's on, he's on. Like, he'll be he'll be a streaky goalie. But Bo Horvat, man, on that third line. That would be absolutely incredible, I think, for a guy like a Dry Seidel or a Nugent Hopkins. It just eases a lot more pressure off of him. And that's just another power play weapon. So I think Edmonton would be a good shout. I like Calgary too, but Boston, man, that would just be an absolute nightmare for us. But we got to go to another name here. I think this is another guy that just 
you look at his stats this year, Alino, and he, he hasn't really been getting it done, but he is an all-time great, and that's Patrick Kane. I know Chicago's been reeling, Alino. They're not good at all. Their top line consists of Athanasiu and Max Domi, two free agent signings last year. We all know that Patrick Kane, man, he's been the guy for so long. Do you think he takes a, a backup role here uh, going to a contender? And which contender, Alino, do you think would be best? Uh, in terms of fit and in terms of salary cap situation? In terms of fit and if they can obviously make the salary cap work, Edmonton jumps up because of McDavid and Dreisaitl, and that would just be, I think, game over for the West. If you can add Kane and have his playmaking ability with that core, I think it would be scary. I think the Leafs can be a sneaky team here to make a run. I know uh, it's been talked about for a while that Florida was in the mix, but I think with Florida, they made a lot of moves there, and then you have Kachuk. So they went in another direction where it looked like the deal wasn't going to come together. So it looked like they moved on. Maybe if Kane is available at the right price, it would try again. But I think right now the Leafs have a nice uh, position here, especially with Muzzin on the LTIR. And I'll go even Mm. further on that, that I think Dubas has to – be a big gamer as a GM here. And uh, I think he should offer up Nice and whoever uh, first round pick and also throw in another pick on the condition that Jonathan Taves gets bought out and the Leafs can sign him on a minimum as a free agent. And then uh, a condition will throw in another first rounder in the mix. So I think uh, Kyle Dubas has to sweeten up the pot there and go and uh, kind of do what the 03, 04 Leaf uh, regime did when they brought Newendike <laughs> and Owen Nolan. I think this is the time to go all video game out. You want to get a cup, you have no time to go five years down the line and say this prospect's going to pan out because we saw with Robertson. It's not obviously going to be so smooth. So let's go after it. Let's get Kane and Taves on the Leafs. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good assessment. I think Kane it would be a perfect fit for a guy like Matthews. We've seen them play together, uh, you know, 20, uh, I think it was in the World Cup of Hockey, or, you know, they've had glimpses of playing together. But just imagine Marner, Kane, and Matthews on a line. That's like, that is a video game. That's something that you only see in franchise modes, um, you know, on your couch. So I think when you look at Patrick Kane being available and, yeah, you look at both the salaries, and it's a joke, both at $10.5 million, But th- what they've been able to do, Alino, is just ridiculous. This, these are two guys that they have three cups. Kane has an Art Ross. He has a Hart Trophy. Like This is a guy where we've seen him in the playoffs. That's where he comes alive, and especially in Game 7's uh, OT winners. Kane has been uh, – he's been – He's been involved in a lot of them. So I think if you can add a Patrick Kane, a guy that we've seen in the past, unfortunately, Alino and Matthews and Marner kind of going cold at times, you can get a Patrick Kane for, let's say, Robertson and a couple firsts. I think that's something that Chicago would kind of uh, be open to. Because, Alino, let's be honest here. We just saw the World Juniors. We saw Connor Bedard just absolutely kill everybody. I think at this point in time, you look at, the Chicago Blackhawks, I think they're just going all in for Bedard at this point. I don't think they really expect to get a massive haul for Patrick Kane. I I mean, obviously you would hope they do, but I don't think they would be so opposed to not just to get have a better shot at getting Bedard, man. Yeah, I agree. And also, like, he's at a stage of his career where he's not going to probably re-sign and take a lot less to stay in Chicago. So unless they're offering him more to stay and – 
I think he's done enough for that organization. He's won cups. He's already a legend. His jersey's going to be retired when he eventually calls it a career. So I think he'd be happy. They'd be happy just to move on and uh, end on a positive note, unlike some of the other players that kind of just kicked to the curb there. And I think they can use that positive press there. So I wouldn't be uh, opposed to Kane just getting traded for obviously what he's worth, but retained salary, let him go win another cup somewhere else. And, um, then go as a free agent wherever he wants to go. So I think it's time now for Kane and Taves to move on. Yeah, and, you know, talking about Taves, I think Taves would be a great fit for Winnipeg too, man. Like, they're they're a surprising team this year. I didn't think they would be a top three team in the Western Conference halfway through the season. I mean, Rick Bonus is a hell of a coach. I went to the game the other night when they faced the Jets, and the Jets – they absolutely deserve to win that game. They peppered us with shots. Samsonov was incredible. Josh Morrissey is looking like a Norris type of defenseman out of nowhere, which to me is still the story of the season. Him and Carlson have just been the biggest surprises in a long time. And I think if you get a Jonathan Taves type of guy, Alino for a Jets team, that's already surprising. Put him on the third line with a guy like an Adam Lowry and maybe a Cole Perfetti. I think that's a perfect third line. You could still have Blake Wheeler and Shifley do their thing on the top. You have another duo in Dubois and Ehlers and even Kyle Connor. So like the Jets are a team where they're a sneaky option for a guy like Jonathan Taves who can log about 15 minutes, uh, you know, get you maybe like 10 to 15 points in the postseason if they make a run. So I think Winnipeg would be a good fit. It's his home too. So I wouldn't be surprised if Taves, if it wasn't Toronto, it would be Winnipeg. But Alino, how crazy would it have been if Buffalo was a little bit better in the standings? Do you think Patrick Kane would have gone home to Buffalo if they were somehow in that playoff spot? I think it would be possible, but I think Kane as a free agent target for Buffalo is a lot better because you wouldn't have to give up anything. I think they're going to look at the options that they have, and I would say Kane going to Buffalo in the offseason and a free agent deal once they had enough time to clear up some space and just put a team together that would be a best fit for them. I think that's a more likely option than them just trading all these young players that have come up and been a big story for them. So I think as a free agent destination, as a trade uh, destination, probably not. But uh, even just talking about uh, his teammate Taves, one thing I forgot to mention, I'd love to see him sneaky – uh, like Pittsburgh, if they were to be uh, sneaky there and pick him up, because that was a team that could have drafted him all those years ago and they picked Jordan Stahl instead. Can you imagine <laughs> if we finally get to see Crosby, Malkin, Taves down the middle? That would be a dream come true. I might, I would probably have to just get a Taves jersey just for the hell of it, because that would be absolutely insane. That would have been like the meme of the decade. It's like, yeah, you know, everybody talks about the 06 draft, how they bumped, they fumbled on an opportunity, but then, hey, doesn't matter. Jonathan Taves ends up going to Pittsburgh anyway. And, you know, you never know, man. Tristan Jardimi is a sneaky goalie. Obviously, every single year, Alino, we, we've written these three off for maybe the last year and a half since COVID started. And they just keep producing. They keep making the playoffs every year. So, I mean, they haven't been too successful the last couple playoff series. But if you add a guy like Taves with Crosby and Malkin, I think the competitiveness can really uh, – really bolster well for them and, and have them win a series. But I want to continue with these names, Alino. I see there we got Ryan O'Reilly being another option for the Leafs. And, you know, I love the, I love the guy. He won the Conn Smythe when the, when the Blues won the Cup. He was a big uh, 
200 foot player. He was on a, he was going up against Bergeron every single shift. And we saw that he was basically a point of game in the playoffs. Is this a guy where you're the Leafs and you look at the salary, does it match? Or do you think the return would have to be a little bit too astronomical for this tour? Because if I'm the blues at this point in time, I don't think I'm trading my captain for a guy like a Nick Robertson in a Kerfoot. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, we're going to see St. Louis probably go the Tarasenko route because at least you know what you have there is salary. Uh, you'll probably find a team willing to do that. With O'Reilly, unfortunately, it's going to be tough to work out that kind of deal. That's probably like an off-season type of move. So, like, Tarasenko's been rumored for, like, two, three years, and I think now is uh, the time they'll finally do that one, and I think they'll hold off on O'Reilly till the draft or free agency. Yeah, I just think when you look at O'Reilly, I'll you know, like seven, what's he getting? I think it's nine. He's getting a lot of money. And yeah, you know, he 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 he, he won the Smite. He won one of the hardest trophies to win. But when you look at the injury history and the, the, the dip in production over the last little bit, I'm not going to say the Blues kicked him to the curb, but, you know, you have Robert Thomas and uh, Braden Shen outproducing him. I think that's a problem, especially when you look at the cap. So, for the Leafs, if there is an option, I'm probably going with the more expensive Patrick Kane, but you know what he's going to give you. And, you know, on the wing with a Matthews or a Tavares is just, that's magical. So I would, if I'm the Leafs, I'm going with Kane over O'Reilly at this point in time. Call me crazy on that one, but I just think that's the better need at this point. And, you know, we got to keep moving, Alino. I think this is a really, really intriguing name here. We're going to talk Tarasenko in just a sec, but Timo Meyer. Wow, this guy to me is like last year he was the best player for the San Jose Sharks. I think he's 26 years old now in his prime. If you're a team out there like, because I've seen Tarasenko and Meyer being linked to the Devils. Devils are in a good spot right now. They're in the playoffs. Um, this is a guy, I'll, you know, where you look at Timo Meyer, he can get you 80 points. He can get you 35 goals. He's just an absolute workhorse. And this is a guy where, if I'm the Sharks, call me crazy. I don't think I would accept any offers for him. I think if there's one guy that I'm not trading, it's this guy. But, hey, if they get the right price and they start tanking, there's another shot they can get Connor Bedard. So um, what do you think about Timo Meyer being available? I know he's an RFA, but do you think this is the right call for the Sharks? Yeah, this one's an odd one because it's kind of a surprise. You would think he'd be a guy you'd want long-term in your organization, but – for them to say they're going to allow him to talk to other teams, that's how uh, I think that signifies a move there. So I think because he's talking to other teams there about an extension, I think it's going to drive the price up a lot. And I think the Sharks are going to benefit here. So it's understandable why they're going to make that risk. And they could get a lot for him right now because if he's going to talk for, let's say, an eight-year extension on a team and – the Sharks can get a lot of first-round picks and future assets to speed up the rebuild. I think this is going to be a win-win for everyone involved. Yeah, and as well, you're looking at a team like the Devils who are licking their chops, trying to make their first playoff appearance in a couple years. And, you know, they had a phenomenal start, and now they're kind of slowly slipping in the standings. But they're still I think they're still going to make the playoffs. But do you think a guy like a Timo Meyer would be a perfect fit for New Jersey? Because I think so. I think you have... Basically, Alino, I can't believe I'm saying this. It would be, I think, the first ever elite Swiss connection with Meyer and Heischer. And then you have Jack Hughes there, too, with Jesper Bratt. So 
you would have two, you would have four solid offensive weapons for the Devils, and then you would have another young up and coming guy in maybe an Alex Holtz. But I think at that point you'd have to trade him to the Sharks. Are you doing that if I'm the Devils? Because I feel like that's just an absolute perfect match if you're a guy like Nico Heischer. Yeah, I agree. I think with uh, Jack Hughes playing the way he's playing, I think it does uh, make it more appealing than just getting traded there and hoping for the best, kind of like what P.K. Subban, when he was traded, they try to make the best of a situation like that. But I think uh, the way Hughes is playing, it could work. If Meyer goes around, though, I look at Washington as a team because they want to be competitive with Ovi there. And you have Mantha, who I thought oh. would be a lot better now. But <laughs> if you can add Meyer to the mix there and have those three guys just throwing their body around, I think that could be a, a very good fit for a guy like Meyer. Oh, that'd be insane. You like you have Ovi, Meyer, and Wilson as wingers. Good luck. That's a nightmare. <laughs> just physicality at its best, but... Like, Alino, I want to just quickly talk, even kind of transition to Tarasenko, too, because he's been linked for the longest time to, like, three teams, and they're all in the Eastern Conference. It's, in my opinion, I think the best fit would be New Jersey because, again, you have Jack Hughes as that elite center. Tarasenko's a guy, I think, that has to get a little bit more rejuvenated, maybe go to a different team. Maybe he could be a 40-goal scorer again. Do you see him going to the Devils, or do you think, you know, the Rangers have that nice package to land a guy like Tarasenko to align with a guy like Panarin. Yeah, for I remember like when the rumors started, I think it was three years into his deal, and he does have uh, the modified no trade and the no trade that he obviously wants to waive, but he's going to be in charge of where he goes. So if a team comes up with an offer and St. Louis likes it, but he doesn't like the fit, he can decline and veto that, but... If it's a team like the Rangers, I think that would be uh, an option for him. And just looking at his contract, he is in the final year of his deal. So it might make him uh, a little bit more open to moving elsewhere. I think the Florida Panthers would be uh, another good fit for him because they have guys in there that could score. They can be that gritty team. But if you got Tarasenko there, that might put them over the hump. So I'll go with uh, the Florida Panthers making a run at Tarasenko. I like that. Uh, we got to quickly move on here. Um, Edmonton, we all know they have their defensive problems, Alino, and there's one guy out there that he has been rumored, and he has had a phenomenal season. He's actually been the surprise of this year for me. Eric Carlson has also been open to being dealt at this point in time. Do you think Edmonton – would be the best fit for a guy like Carlson. You have Eric Carlson and McDavid on the same team. Or do you think a more likely option would be a John Klingberg on the back end, more realistic for the Edmonton Oilers? Yeah, if I'm San Jose and Edmonton comes up and you see the kind of moves they've made in recent years, I would accept that, whatever they're offering, because <laughs> they're going to overpay. <laughs> so I would say, yeah, sure. What else do you want to add another first-round pick to that? Okay, we'll do it. But I think Klingberg's a likely option. Carlson, I know San Jose would just probably love to trade him right now because his value I don't think is going to get any higher than it is now with the way he's playing. And maybe, as crazy as it sounds, I think Ottawa in the offseason, if uh, they come up with an offer, that might be uh, a nice appealing return there for everybody. And his contract, if they retain, let's say, a million, but they get a young like center in the mix, 
and Ottawa wants to clear up some room there if they want to add some free agents. So I'll go Ottawa offseason. I don't think Carlson, uh, the cap's going to work out for this trade deadline. Yeah, I agree there. I think, can you imagine they bring Eric Carlson back and then all of a sudden you see Mike Hoffman go back? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, no, that would be hilarious. But I think, you know, when we look at the trade deadline, I think there's not a lot of teams that are in a good spot to just buy, buy, buy. I think we're going to see a lot of selling points. You know, I think teams like Tampa Bay are not going to be able to do much. So I think this is the year where the Leafs are going to have to be the team that's finally the most uh, involved at the deadline. We've seen over the last couple of years, they, you know, they had the Nick Foligno and they had a couple other signings like the Giordano and uh, Blackwell last year. But I think this is the year, Alino, where we see a big name come to the Leafs. And I think the more that I think about it, I think it might have to be number 88 from the uh, Chicago Blackhawks because, man, this is the time for the Leafs, I think, to finally get over that first round. I know the playoff matchups is a joke. It's either Boston or Tampa, but I think we could do it. I got faith this year. I think uh, I've seen a lot of grit. I've seen uh, us play a much better defensive game. And Samsonov, man, he can be elite. So I think uh, at this point in time, I know we have a lot of contract situations. Like, let's be honest, Alina, is Samsonov really staying? Because I don't, I don't see it unless he takes a pay cut, but I don't see it. So regardless, I do think this deadline is going to be fun. Um, but we do got to move on. I want to quickly talk, Alino, about the All-Star game because the jerseys got leaked and it feels like we're back in 2002, which I love. Don't get me wrong, but what are your thoughts on the layouts? We've talked about this over numerous podcasts in our, you know, in our uh, in the zone career. And I think it's finally time, Alino, that they get rid of this division bullshit because you brought back the old jerseys. It's time to go back to five on five and just have a nice, solid 10-7 to hockey game where the best player on the ice gets six points. Do you think they should go back to that? And what do you think about the all-star voting as well? Yeah, I think they really need to go back on that because, like, if somebody's watching, you're trying to sell the game if you're on the, the NHL every year. And if someone's watching maybe for the first time or hasn't watched hockey in a while and they're seeing three on three. That's what they're going to expect when they watch a regular season game. And then when they turn on a regular season game, they're like, what the hell's going on here? Why is there five guys and a goalie and not three and a goalie? So they have to stay consistent. I think it was a nice little experiment. The players clearly never tried and cared about it even when they changed it. So I think they have to go five on five, maybe do uh best on three. Like every period is worth a point. And then you combine the score at the end and, they won one period, the other team won the other period, and then uh, the tiebreaker, kind of like the NBA, where it's the first to however many goals. So that's probably an experiment they have to do with it. But uh, the jerseys I like, I wish they added the alumni game uh, on the first day, so the Saturday, instead of some of the bullshit skill competitions they do, put in an alumni game where you get to see like Yager, Lemieux, Gretzky all play, sell the history. And uh, Sunday night is where uh, the guys in their prime come out and play. Exactly. I mean, I, I I love the whole, you know, like, look at those jerseys. The Eastern one is beautiful. Both of them are nice. But I think you look at the three-on-three setup, and it makes no sense. Like, you have two jerseys. There's not four jerseys anymore. 
So how is this going to work? It's just the Atlantic and the Metro are going to wear the East and then the other two are going to wear the West. That's complicated as hell. I think they got to get rid of the three-on-three, Alino. Like, let's be honest. It's fun in the regular season in overtime for the five minutes just because, again, you have a lot of on-man rushes and the game can end. But in an all-star game, it doesn't really do anybody any favors. Again, you're trying to – you're trying to basically promote your best players in the league. And I think a three-on-three game just does not show it very well. Let's say a guy like a Darlene, or I know he's not even in it, which is absurd. He should be in the all-star game. Like This is so stupid. I'll, you know, the team, it, like in the Atlantic division, there's not one defenseman. They're all forwards, which makes zero sense. You should at least have, what, 15 players in each conference go, and then that's it. I think that's a safe number, and I don't know, man. I just I have a lot of things to say about the just the layout. I don't like it. I think, you know, let's say, I don't know, Tage Thompson, he's been one, he's been the talk of the town this year in the Eastern Conference. Let's say he has a terrible outing in the three-on-three. No one's going to talk about Tage Thompson. And I think the whole point of the All-Star weekend, Alino, is to showcase the guys that are doing fantastic. And these little three-on-three tournaments really don't do it for me. So I think... The all-star game, Alino, is a way – they have to do a better way in showcasing their talent. I know the skills contest and the fastest skater and all that, it, it's cool, but I don't think it showcases them enough from an individual standpoint. So I got to go with the 15 players each conference, go the old-fashioned way. You have the six best defensemen, maybe seven, and you have the the nine to to 11 best forwards. I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah, and then also like, like we saw with the NBA how their game was always made fun of too, kind of like the NHL where it was just the two conferences. But like the way they did it with uh, the first uh, whatever amount of points, I think if the NHL maybe added that element to it, where let's say the winner whoever scores nine goals first, I think it'll get the crowd into it because they know what's going to happen. They know that okay, whoever gets this amount of goals is they're not playing twenty minute periods and just drowning in the friggin' excitement out of the building and sucking it all up like a vacuum. They can actually keep people engaged with what's going on. So that's a change. They really, whoever's in the NHL office, like start making some changes here. It's not set in stone. The rules of an all-star game, you can experiment with it. That's what the NHL PA and NHL should be doing at these meetings instead of talking about where the next golf course and what the next meeting is and uh, where in Florida they're going to be doing it and who's going to, spend like x amount of dollars on the next jersey so i think that's what they should be doing from now on exactly i i like it too i remember when they did it for kobe they they did the the points first to the points and a lot of people kind of had that backlash where it's like no i don't think it's going to work i think what if it's a blowout and the team is just so far behind well that clearly wasn't the case both years so we saw last year LeBron won it off a of fadeaway, which was unbelievable. And then a couple of years ago, we all know what happened. Like the fourth quarter was fantastic. One of the best like things I've ever seen in a long time. All the all-stars just playing their heart out defensively and offensively. I think if you, let's say, Alino, it's a 3-1 game and it's the first to five goals. Don't you think the team with one goal is going to literally try and defend the shit out of that other team? I think so. So, there's all these little nicks that they got to do with the All-Star game. I love the way you put it. I think they have to at least try and adapt to it 
if the NBA is doing it and they're doing a fantastic job. They, they do the alumni well, they do everything well. And you look at the all-star game for the NHL, it's more of a, yeah, we're in Vegas and we're going to make all this money and we kind of don't care about the end result that's on the ice. So I think they got to change it in a big way. And, you know, it, it's a start with the jerseys because the last couple of years, I've just, I like four jerseys. Come on. That's terrible. Yeah. It's a fucking <laughs> circus. Yeah, it's just a joke. But uh, now we got to move on to WWE. We have, man, like the Royal Rumble. What is going to, what's happening here? This is, this is, I have not been this excited, Alino, for a Rumble since 2017 when we saw all those legends on the poster. We saw Undertaker, Goldberg, Lesnar, and we ended up seeing Randy Orton win. Because, again, Roman Reigns is in the final, and hey, we need a cheap pop. We're going to have Randy Orton eliminate Roman Reigns to win it. So, um, what are your thoughts? I know we, we saw, I think it was last week, Cody Rhodes has officially been announced. I'll start with that. Do you think he should have been announced, or do you think he should have more been a surprise entrant? I'm good with him being announced because I think they got some surprises up their sleeve there. I think uh, this is going to be a year we hear that glass shatter in the Royal Rumble and Stone Cold's going to come out. So I think if Cody Rhodes is being announced ahead of time, I think uh, they got some surprises with Stone Cold Steve Austin, maybe even Edge coming back for the Rumble match. Uh, Shawn Michaels I would have slotted in if he wants to do it in his hometown, but... I think Stone Cold, safe bet, if I'm predicting of uh, who's a name that can come out, I think this can actually be the year he does it. Can you imagine we see Stone Cold and The Rock face-to-face again? I think that would be the best moment of the night. I don't think I would care about anything else. I think that would just be my the highlight of the night. But we got another name, Alino, that's just been so intriguing, and it's Sami Zayn. This guy we saw last night. Roman Reigns, get out. Get out of here. I don't want to see you. Get out. Um, do you see Sami Zayn being a dark horse to win it? Or do you think the more you watch just the way that they've been, you know, reeling Cody Rhodes back into things, do you think it's more far, far fetched than anything? Because I think at this point in time, this Sami Zayn run reminds me of the Daniel Bryan Kofi Kingston runs. And I think at some point in time, the fan base is going to want to see Sami Zayn win the big one. Yeah, and I think it's beneficial to him, too, that at least the crowd's getting behind him. I think, unfortunately, he won't win the Rumble. Uh, I think they're going to probably do something where Jey Uso eliminates him when he's going on a run there. He's probably, I would say the final five will see Sami Zayn involved, and that's when Jey Uso takes him out. And uh, then the next, during that week, we'll probably see them turn on him to set up for the Elimination Chamber in Montreal. So, I think they got other plans for Sami Zayn, uh, probably going for the tag titles with Kevin Owens. I like it. I think that's been something that's been linked forever. And I mean, it's it's not like it's a consolation by any means. I just think the fans would want to see him dethrone Roman. But again, I don't see him being the guy to do it. Uh, another name, Alino, that I think has he's had a phenomenal year so far is Austin Theory. I know he's not going to win the Rumble, but what do you expect for him around WrestleMania season? Because this guy's stringing up some wins. He's taking on Bobby Lashley. Do you see Lashley in the Hurt Business, you know, having a little reunion and taking back the U.S. title? And if they do, what does that mean for Austin Theory in terms of his singles uh, singles potential at this point? Yeah, with the Hurt Business uh, coming back together and Omos being a part of it too, of like probably, I think that's going to make them like a dominant faction where I would think Lashley comes up short for the title. 
and uh, goes after Brock. And probably I would favor Lashley if they're going to go with the Hurt Business and be committed to it. I think they'll give Lashley the big WrestleMania win over Brock. And I think Austin Theory, they're going to maybe pull the trigger on him versus John Cena because Vince McMahon's back in the office. And uh, Austin Theory was his boy. Everyone was clowning on him when Vince McMahon left. But uh, the old man's back in charge. And uh, I think Austin Theory is going to benefit from this. Yeah, I think I think a match with John Cena would be beneficial. We all know Cena, I don't think, is winning the match. And if he does, that's a joke. But um, I think Theory getting a win over a John Cena would just be astronomical for his career. And he's proven that he can definitely be a top heel in a different character when he's mo- he's motivated and focused. Man, his match quality, wow. Incredible stuff from Theory so far this year. And Say what you want about Seth Rollins. He's always a name that's been intriguing me and in the main event. Do you see where do you see Seth Rollins, man, coming into this WrestleMania? Because he's always been linked to Roman Reigns. There's always that little intrigue there. But do you see a guy like Seth Rollins like being a key part in WrestleMania? And if you do, like who the hell is he gonna face at this point? Yeah, I think uh Seth Rollins is gonna be lurking around there. Uh in the main event spot, main event scene. I think they're going to probably go back. I know it might sound crazy, but I think him and Cody again. Like, I think this whole face turn for Seth is going to be short because once Cody comes back, I think it's going to spark that uh, old tendency in his mind that he's got to one-up everybody, and he hasn't got that win over Cody, and Cody beat him with a torn peck. I think they'll play that up going into WrestleMania, and uh, I think that's where Seth is going to go back to his old ways there. So you think Cody Rhodes is a uh, – so you think The Rock versus Roman Reigns is slated for WrestleMania? Yeah, and I, I like how uh, all these reports are coming out that The Rock's not going to be in shape for WrestleMania. Like he probably wasn't even already scheduled like eight months ago, and he <laughs> doesn't think he's going to be in in-ring uh, condition. I think uh, they're trolling people online because they have a whole bloodline acknowledgement ceremony scheduled – and it just so happens to be on the 30th anniversary of Raw before the Royal Rumble on that Saturday. So I would uh, assume The Rock's going to come out to just interrupt things a little bit and announce he's going to be in the Rumble so they can advertise it, make the most out of it, and uh, have Stone Cold as a surprise so they can get the fans, uh, get that pop from the surprise factor of the Rumble. What do you think about Judgment Day, man? What do you think about them... uh... Cause I there's times where I feel like they're 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 hinted at being like faces when they're going up against the Usos and it's like or the Usos are faces. I don't know. It was just a really weird dynamic the last couple Raws, but this Dominic Mysterio. We're gonna get we're gonna get him versus Ray at WrestleMania, and it's gonna be an absolute treat. I think this is where we see Dominic maybe get a roll up. I don't think he's gonna win it like clean, but I think this is where we see Dominic get the win and People are not going to be happy, man. I think at WrestleMania we're going to see a Dominic and an Austin Theory win, and I don't, I don't know if a lot of fans are going to like that, but they're the future. It looks like so. I only love. I think again, I've said this so many times. I'll, you know, Finn Balor has to be doing something else, and I know that he still has that unfinished business with uh, Edge. You think Edge and Finn Balor would be a marketable match at WrestleMania? Man, I don't know what like I don't know. It seems like Judgment Day. They're trying to make them more of like a comedic thing with Dominic. Like I think they should just do that with Dominic's character only, not with the whole group, because 
kind of makes Finn look like he's not to be really taken seriously. Like people are expecting Dominic to continue building his character. So it's good that he's doing that. But when Finn Balor's doing it after he was so serious when they took Edge out of the group and it was supposed to be a bigger deal, it kind of makes you think maybe they should have kept Edge involved in the group and had Finn Balor and Dominic join it rather than just kicking Edge out and going in this direction. Because right now all I'm seeing is Dominic Mysterio, Rhea Ripley, they're going to be the ones to benefit from this even short term like everyone knows like long term they might but it looks like even in the short term when guys like finn and damian priest should be benefiting short term so that makes uh me kind of worried for their kind of future and future direction with wwe yeah as well i want to quickly talk more about you know this is this technically isn't a royal rumble like pre predictions video because we don't have the card in front of us but we're just quickly talking about it you know, Charlotte's the champion again. There's no sign of Ronda Rousey anywhere. Uh, we see Sonya Deville come out. Is that like the best possible challenger for Charlotte at this point? Because I'm looking at names to win the Rumble. And, you know, there are a couple names. There's Rhea Ripley, who I think is the favorite right now for me. You have Alexa Bliss, who's also intriguing. I think a Liv Morgan can benefit from it. But who do, who do you think is the right person to win, Alina? Because I've heard also Becky Lynch potentially winning it again. Do you see any of those four that I mentioned being a big-time winner? And I think at this point, they would have to go up against Charlotte because I feel like Charlotte just has a lack of challengers right now. Yeah, I agree. And I remember like a few years ago when Alexa Bliss, they were really pushing her and that whole thing with Randy Orton, and it looked like she should have won the Rumble, <laughs> just the way they were building that up. And she just came in the Rumble, and that was it. Like It was, was so bad. quick. That was horrible. That's a year she should have won. I think you could have realistically done that, but I understand why they went in the other direction there with Bianca Belair. But I think this year I'm going to go off the board. I think we're going to see a surprise return. And uh, I think Mandy Rose is winning the Rumble and facing Charlotte at WrestleMania. Oh, I would love that, man. That See, that like this is where you have Vince McMahon back in the mix. He's going to call Mandy Rose back. And he looks at the NXT numbers. He looks at the rain. He says, okay, this girl's a big-time player. Regardless of everything outside of WWE, she is a big-time player. She's must-see. She's – I don't think I've ever seen a woman improve, the, like, as much in a span of two years as Mandy Rose. I know Liv Morgan has turned some heads, but Mandy Rose has been phenomenal as that top heel. So – you have a girl like Mandy Rose go up against Charlotte Flair, who I think Charlotte Flair has no business being a face, but hey, it happens. You know, it probably will be short-lived, but I like that pick because I remember a couple of years ago, I picked Alexa Bliss to win the Rumble, and that was just an absolute colossal failure. So uh, I like the Mandy Rose pick. Another one that just intrigues the shit out of me, Alino, and I don't know why, is again Alexa Bliss to win the Rumble. I don't know why. I just think that you have that creative freedom. I think, you know, with the Uncle Howdy, maybe he can help her win the Rumble, maybe distract a, a big-time player like Becky in the Rumble. I just think you have a lot of creative options with Alexa Bliss. And, you know, obviously Bliss versus Bianca, it's not that marketable, but I think the end result and the mind games would be the, the you know, the thing that just carries it over to elite an elite level. So it's not going to be like Becky and Bianca was last year, but I think when you look at the – the storytelling, I think it would absolutely be phenomenal. But I do like your Mandy Rose pick. I think that would be a good surprise as well. But 
you know, Alino, we gotta. I just want to quickly talk to end wrestling, talk about Bray Wyatt and his character because we saw last night that the Firefly Funhouse is back, and I don't really know what to make of it. I know he's a lot more serious, and we kind of we're on the edge of our our seat. We don't know what character he's gonna be, but do you see him being involved? I know they're at, they have a match at the Rumble, but do you see Vince pulling some strings and? having Bray do double duty and maybe be the fiend in the Royal Rumble? Or do you think that's just out of the question? I wouldn't be surprised if he did it because we saw, like, I think it was a couple weeks ago he came out. He was, like, in Bray Wyatt mode, like, with the buzzards and everything. Like, he had the chair in the ring. And now we saw the Firefly Funhouse, which kind of didn't really make sense because when he returned, they had the whole thing where he freed all the puppets (laughs) into the arena and that he killed that whole version of himself. So I don't know what to make of it. Maybe they change their mind and they have something else planned where they're going to do something else with his character. But I think Bray uh, not being in the Rumble might actually be better than him being in it and getting eliminated from someone that might not go over well with fans. So (laughs) probably keep him out of the Rumble, let him and LA Knight do their thing and come up with a creative opponent for WrestleMania. Who do you think that would be, man? Like I, I got no idea who Bray Wyatt could face at Mania. No idea at all. And like, I've heard rumors of maybe a Randy Orton return. I don't know. I don't think that's an ideal situation for Randy Orton. But I, man, I, I'm really stumped. I, I have no idea at this point in time who Bray Wyatt can face at WrestleMania. No idea. Edge maybe, or unless they don't do the whole Judgment Day thing. I don't know, like, because AJ Styles is out long term. I think that would have been an intriguing guy to maybe go after, but like, there's really not a lot of guys that can really work well with Bray Wyatt's character right now. I know LA Knight is phenomenal. He's a a guy that's really worked it, and we saw Rambling Rabbit give him a little compliment <laughs> last night, which was hilarious. But I don't know, man. Like to me, Bray Wyatt, the whole character thing, it's been a little underwhelming. But you look at the road. To- to WrestleMania and how it's kind of not clear at all. I think to me that's the most intriguing part of Bray Wyatt right now. There's one name I'll throw out as uh, off the board, and I, I'm only doing this because I saw a graphic up posted of uh, what's going to happen on Raw. And uh, get your thoughts on this coming up. They're announcing they announced some legends coming out, and. Uh, one of the now it's not Hulk Hogan, not happening. But the Undertaker's not advertised as a dead man. It looks like the American Badass, like we saw when he faced AJ in that Boneyard match. So, do you think they would do Never Say Never when he said last year, like Undertaker, one more match in front of a crowd, not like in a cinematic way? Let him go out at WrestleMania against Bray Wyatt that rematch, and Bray gets his win back. Holy shit. Um, yeah, that's a it's a bit of a stretch. I think I would be kind of disappointed if it didn't live up to expectations because the way that he finished it was perfect against AJ. I think that was like a picture-perfect ending to his WrestleMania career. But I think, I think Undertaker does see a lot in Bray Wyatt. I think he's always kind of said that he thinks Bray Wyatt is one of the most creative guys backstage. So... If a guy like Undertaker is saying that, I think he he's definitely open to the possibility. I think at this point, it's just up to himself, uh, Undertaker. If he really wants to come back, 
do another match, go into the process of training again. And because again, Bray Wyatt is not a small guy. It's going to be hard to lift him, do the choke slam and all that. But I don't know, Ali, you know, like if you're, if you're Bray Wyatt in this case, and you really have no other option, it would be perfect for storytelling. But I don't know if the fans would really get behind it just because of what they did last year for Taker, the whole hall of fame and all of that. I don't know. I think it would be a little too soon for him to come back, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I think if a guy like Bray, you don't have to worry about a Goldberg, let's say throwing a spear and killing the guy and crippling him. <laughs> I think Bray knows how to do something safe there. You can do the mind games during the match where, it will slow down a little bit, but if it's not a high flyer like AJ and uh, a guy like Bray who you don't have to worry about getting reckless in there, I think Undertaker would be able to get through it safely, but that would have to be a night one thing. I wouldn't want it to be like night two. If you're if you know The Rock's going to wrestle on night two, like keep it at a minimum with how many older guys you want, but I wouldn't be too opposed to it if they want to do that in front of fans for his last match. How about this, Alino? I mean, you, you mentioned Bray Wyatt. How about Undertaker coming out on Monday and you have, I mean, I'm only saying this because you look at the theme, but how about Judgment Day comes out and you see maybe Finn Balor go up against, try and go toe-to-toe with The Undertaker. I think that would be another cool thing too. You can maybe have him start going back into his dark place, Finn, maybe be the demon. You have the demon versus the dead man at WrestleMania. I don't know. I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but I think I would love to see Finn versus The Undertaker because I think that would benefit The Undertaker the most. Finn Balor's, what, 195 pounds? I think that would just be a match where you know Finn Balor can carry it. He can carry the pace of it. And it would be kind of similar to what Punk and Undertaker was way back at WrestleMania 20, uh, I think it was 29. So I love it. I think this is a great opportunity for a guy like Finn Balor, who we've said has been floundering since joining judgment day what do you think about that ali do you think you could see finn versus uh finn versus undertaker if they don't want to go with finn versus edge i would like to see that segment where uh they interrupt undertaker dressed like that and dominic comes out looking like he's straight out of saints row and uh (laughs) go up to undertaker and just try to rough him up a little bit just to like try intimidate undertaker have kane in there staring at him with a mask I think there's a gold there if they want to have Dominic interrupt Undertaker. Yeah, it's that'd be awesome, man. That would just be perfect comedy. I know on Monday I'm tuning in 100%. That's going to be absolutely phenomenal. Um, but, you know, I think that's it for this week's episode, man. We talked a lot about, you know, the NHL trade rumors, the All-Star game. Talking about Patrick Kane potentially coming to town. I think that would be an absolute treat. And, Hey, you never know, man, with, with WWE. Now with Vince McMahon back, there can be a whole different the, – the creative can just take a 180. And I think right now I'm going to say Cody Rhodes wins a Rumble. You say The Rock. I think it's going to be fun either way. But anyways, this was uh, another great episode. This is Giancarlo Alino, Chris Martelli, signing out. <laughs>